every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Justin Anovic, former CPO CMO at Syndigo. In this episode, Justin gives us a masterclass in operationalizing ICPs by providing us with tangible strategies for defining ICPs, tips for how to approach fringe use cases, and the reason why it's so important to have alignment with the executive level. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Justin Anovic, former CPO, CMO at Syndigo, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by a very special guest. Justin, how are you? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on, Ian. Excited to chat today. It's going to be a little bit of a different type of an episode because you're not sitting in the seat right now. You've just left the proverbial seat and there's some new exciting things on the horizon. So we're getting Justin in between the two worlds of of marketing and, and whatever's next, which is always a fun time to think about all the all the stuff that you've done previously in, in your marketing roles. Yeah, usually it's just in time. I guess it's just in between, but that, that, there's no <laughs> real phrase for that. So we'll just move on. <laughs> Indeed. So you were recently dual-headed as a chief product and marketing officer. You spent a lot of time in product specifically with stints in and out of product marketing and marketing and all that stuff. So we wanted to like dive in today about product about you know product marketing as it as it fits in marketing broadly and specifically about one point about the ICP which we'll get into here a bunch. So why did you want to talk about ICPs? Yeah, so before you know I got into the seat as a CMO, I had spent time running product marketing in addition to product, you know, some organizations have product and marketing and you know, or in product, but I spent the last 10 years running product organizations. And until I actually got into the CMO seat, it was a struggle to understand the inability to focus, the inability to actually take ideal customer profile and do something with it beyond just marketing. And until I was able to see kind of the entire life cycle of what was needed, it was a head scratcher for me. And then the moment that I really got in seat and where we were starting to operationalize it, you know, there was an aha moment and it's really just that lack of alignment. And most people in the organization feel it's a pure marketing exercise. So yeah, you know, I, I think that that is one of the biggest struggles that I see a lot of organizations who I speak with, if you have the data to be able to put together your ICP, what do you actually do with it next? And it's more than just a target addressable market. There's, there's more to it than that. I think understanding your ICP is one of the most important things that marketers often don't fully have a good concept uh, or understanding of. Like if you were to sit down and you know take 10 marketers 
and two of them are by far and away the best like top performers. I guarantee you that they know their ICP is the absolute best. They know their market the best. They know the triggers that make people buy the best. Um, and they know all those things. Like I, I would bet, I would bet my, my, my whole podcast on that. Um, and yet we kind of don't. And I'm curious, like, why do you think that is like, why do you think that so many people struggle to understand the ICP and then we'll get into operationalizing it here in a second. Yeah. You know, so for myself personally, what I've seen, I've, I've gone through the exercise of helping to define the ICP three times in the last four years for really two different businesses. And it's the inability to actually access and secure the data you need in order to make those decisions. And then two is actually the ability to narrow down and make the decision and stick to it. And, you know, certainly the data that you if you have the luxury of having historical data and customers, you know, then that's great. If you don't, this is, you know, there's something different. But if you have that, just being able to go and understand the SIC codes, the market, the size, the company, the, you know, what your revenue is. And in a lot of organizations, it's in disparate locations. And each of the times it took maybe three, four months working with finance very deliberately to access that data. So I think that a lot of organizations I see, they just haven't put the time, effort, money, manpower behind it in order to actually define and understand the ICP. And so certainly each of those three times, one of the hardest things to operationalize it was to explain to the organization, starting with marketing, what actually ICP meant, what target adjustable market meant, but what service obtainable market meant and what we needed to do. And it was eye-opening to realize how, to your point, most even marketers didn't really, they understood the concept, but they hadn't actually operationalized it or used it before. Okay, so zooming out, why do marketers need to do this in the first place? Why do companies need to do this in the first place? everybody has a limited budget and you need to figure out what to do for that with that budget. And, you know, you can be a generalized organization where you can go after anybody. Basically you wait for it, you're reactive, they contact you and then you use your budget to contact them. Or for most businesses, you need to be proactive. So where do you spend your capital? Folks understand ABM, account-based marketing, but really without the ability for the ICP part and then the other pieces that we'll get into, you know, you're spending a considerable amount of budget. Your click-through rates need to be higher. You need to spend less per lead, essentially, or higher quality leads. You need to convert more. You, know, you definitely see a lot of organizations, you know, just the ones that I've been at, have lower win rates because you're, you're, you're basically contacting everybody, even though they might not sit into your ICP. So it's really how do you effectively spend the budget that you have access to in a much more concerted way? And I guess we should define, what, what do you define as an ICP? Yeah, so I always look at the four terms, ICP, so your ideal customer profile. So that could be, you know, the accounts, the size, region, market, size of business, revenue, or employees, a variety of factors that basically say, this is, this is how you define your ideal customer profile. So if you're, if you're a fintech, you're obviously going to focus on fintech. If you're higher ed, you're going to focus on higher ed. Well, that's a little bit more complicated for non-vertically oriented B2Bs. 
And so it's saying we have a greater chance of success in these two areas or seven areas. So that ICP is the first part to identify where you've had success historically. Where you get into the TAM, target addressable market, is the totality of those businesses. How many are there in the universe in those markets and so on and so forth. Service addressable market is you say you want to be in a certain region or certain market. Service obtainable market is really who has budget now, who's buying, who you know is in a replacement cycle. And so those four terms, if you will, define what you're looking for. And so starting out this process, like what's the first step? <laughs> One, you know, getting alignment at the ELT, the executive team and to the board. It was funny when I first really went into it on my own, I was at a board meeting and, and like, I knew that we needed to go through a process like who's our customer? Where do we have success? That's what the board kept asking. I went through a process where I was literally going through and manually notating our entire customer list of like 8,000 customers, what category, what market, all of that. And, you know, the board's like, hey, we can give you some help. I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, because otherwise I need more Saturdays and Sundays in order to do this. And so it was really to answer, hey, we have this budget. Our win rates matter. Retention matters. All of that matters. We need to say who we are. And that's really the first true intro that I had was that occurred beyond marketing. Who, who do our partners, who do we need to partner with to implement? What does product need to actually build, which is somewhat logical, but it's usually the other way around where product is dictating based on n number of customers that we have versus the opportunity in the market. And so it was really, you know, for myself personally, getting deeply ingrained in it, it was about five years ago when you know I was running a product team where the chairman of Insight Partners just kept asking me, who's our customer, who's our customer, who's our customer, and had to go through the research project to really look at it in a way that removed anecdotes and emotions and all that using the data that we had. Next step was, you know, there's the, the view of the past, but then how do you have a portal into the future? You can't necessarily decide your ICP or the SOM, let's say, based off of entirely what you did in the past, right? There are factors that made you successful, maybe in a certain market, a certain size, certain area. Let's say you're mid-market, selling mainly mid-market, but you know you now have the ability to go into enterprise or vice versa. And so there also needs to be that portal into the future. So the first one really is to agree as an ELT and even a board to say, these are the markets, this is the size, this is the ideal customer profile that we're gonna go after. Here's the pros and cons of it. And most importantly, here's what we can expect. If we, you know, generated 100 leads, instead of, you know, winning 22% of them, we can expect to win 34%. Here's how we can spend less or achieve more with the same amount of budget. And so it's really ELT board level agreement to say, this is what we're doing. The next step is, is educating the entire business as to what it means for them. What does it mean for marketing, SDRs, sales, product, partners, customer service, all of the different groups and what it means for them. Because ultimately, at some point in the 18 to 24 month project of implementing something, some, everybody's going to be impacted. They might not be impacted at the moment, but really at some point they're going to be impacted. So it's really agreement and then you know starting to communicate and educate folks on basically barely what it is and what it could mean for them. 
So then it's like, okay, cool. And then most of the time, if it's, if it, you know, failures occur when communication or educating different teams is like, you don't come back to them to say, okay, this is what you need to do. So it's really a roadmap of the different elements that have to occur. What do you actually have to do to align accounts? Do we need to actually buy new software in order to help address the SOM and to address the organizations that you want to go after? You know, a lot of it does start in marketing, but if SDRs or BDRs and sales aren't aligned in the first pass, we could get a great opportunity pass it, you know, to SDRs and they have no idea what's going on because they weren't educated or sales gets it and they don't treat it with even more respect. And so like that first pass of marketing, you know, really focusing, creating assets, developing the approach and then aligning with SDRs and sales is is really a key thing because the worst thing is that you could get great reaction and, you know, uh, folks down the line didn't get educated or weren't involved. And so they don't really, you, you know, they let it pass because they didn't see anything interesting about it, let's say. Yeah. And I want to get back to the board here for a second. So years ago, I did an exercise like this, not as sophisticated as you, Justin, I will say, I will admit. <laughs> but part of my rudimentary calculations were such that it took so much longer to close a certain demographic. In this case, it was it was like a higher ed type organization that had like ridiculously long sales cycles and then ridiculously low ACVs. And my proposition to the leadership team was like, we shouldn't, we should just not go after this. We should just yep. like completely bail on this because our sales reps spend, you know, whatever, 20 calls to try to close this. You got to close it. It's like with the state or whoever, which is super complex. And and like, there's not really like a lane and expand thing here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My question here is like, in your experience and talking with your peers and stuff like that about talking to boards, is this something that they want to be doing, are interested in doing? Do they care about this stuff? Do they fight over who these things are? Like, how should marketing leaders position this information to the board to get, you know, buy-in based off of this? Or should it be more collaborative and say like, hey, I'm chucking this all to you as well to say like, what should we do? Or should we should the marketer be more prescriptive? I would say that depending on what stage the investment is from the board or, you know, the investors, they've either done a high level analysis on their own, if it was a recent investment, or, you know, have have, have done some work on their own. I think where the struggle occurs is that operationalization of it. And so like my second day at my last role, it was a board, it was a board meeting. And the very first question of the chairman's mouth was, when are we gonna see the ICP? And that's what kind of started me on the process to say, oh, cool, like there's an opportunity here to do something. So, you know, came back a handful of months later, reported on the progress. But I would say that looking at the, who does the MarTech landscape, but like there's, there's limited, there's so much noise and there's limited ability to get through that there has to be some targeting for more mature businesses, right? So for sure, when you have that opportunity to use the data from the past. So I would say that either the board expects it or 
they'd be unbelievably welcome to hear that there is a, a project going on. And not to say that I've used the board as the reason that we're doing it, because it should be beyond that. What I've seen in talking to other you know, CPOs, CMOs, is that there's usually an expectation and understanding. It's how deep do you go into it and what is the allocation of the budget that then becomes the conversation versus starting there and identifying what it is. Is this something that the CMO should own? Should the CPO own it? Should it be joint? Should it be owned by the CEO? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth. And then, I, you know, I mentioned to you. Because you've reading. gone back and forth. That's why. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. I just keep chasing who's supposed to own the ICP. And I'm like, let's do both. Um, and so I was just reading uh, Product Operations by Melissa Perry and Denise Tillis earlier and came across the page where they're saying, you know, the, the product research and product operations team needs to be the one responsible. Oh, that's white out, but needs to be the one responsible for helping to address this. And I'm like, I, I don't really know who should do it. There should be a research team. Finance needs to be involved. It usually impacts the CM, you know, the, the marketing team way more on the front end for businesses that I've been a part of because the product is a longer tail. But I would say that it's really whoever has the, the passion and the ability to get it across the line. I think if the CMO doesn't own it, there's the struggle of it not getting adopted, and then it's pointless. If the CPO owns it and doesn't get it adopted, uh, or CMO owns it, maybe the CPO doesn't adopt it, I think that there might be a little less risk there because that's you know a longer tail. You're not necessarily going in and building a bunch of new product capabilities up front. You're working with customers, so there's a little bit longer time. So I think it's like the, you know, wherever that emotional attachment needs to occur, I feel it's stronger on the, on the marketing side than it is initially on the product side. But again, like I do feel that the entire organization needs to get behind it and every ELT member needs to you know, promote it and push it as much as possible. But marketing usually starts with the most amount of activities, I would say. Do you find that there's a lot of times where people will do a positioning exercise and before they've done an ICP or they have an outdated ICP, or something like that, because I, I find that sometimes when you you talk to folks who have done a a recent positioning exercise, what they what they part of what they find is that they don't necessarily have the most accurate ICP either. I have been a part of multiple iterations where that happens. Where hey, let's do a positioning exercise. What's the unique selling propositions? What's the you know our new messaging? We need to differentiate. And then you know when I was in pre-sales for my first half of my career, I was always for it because I always felt like hey, I knew what was happening, and let's go through that. And then you know recently, I just basically say I don't know what I'm supposed to build. I don't know what I'm supposed to market. I don't know how we're supposed to answer some of these questions as to what we're doing with our budget if we can't answer that fundamental question. It's all guesses. It's all anecdotes. It's all emotion at that point. So if we want to be data-driven, there's only one way in my brain to do it, which is to do the ICP. Then once you know that, to me, then the positioning exercise becomes infinitely easier because you're, you know who are your constituents, your personas, that ideal customer, and who isn't. And so thus cater for your messaging and that positioning towards that, that ICP. But I've been a part of it so many times where it's the opposite. And in the end, it feels like it was a good exercise, but it would never last as long as it needed to last. And we redid it every nine, 12 months, I felt, when we didn't have the clear ICP. 
Well, and I think that part of it is that you, you kind of should be revisiting it every nine to 12 months. It just shouldn't foundationally change like a massive amount, which is part of the problem that I think that a lot of people face. Yeah. I mean, it should be tweaked. There should be, yeah. it should be revisited for sure. But like a completely, to your point, a completely new foundation. And all of those exercises were based off of the last five, 10 big deals that we want. So that's where the emotional anecdotes come in in some ways is it's purely based off of just whatever happened last week or last month or last quarter. And, you know, that's that's removing the the, the rationale as to the win rates, retention rates, all of those other things. If you're just purely basing it off of like the interest we got in the market and the new deals. I kind of touched on this earlier with my little anecdote. A question that that often can come up is like, well, what about blank? that with 21% of our business is these people. And are you saying we should just ignore them and we should have no marketing for them and we have no whatever? Like, what about when you come across something like that, where you have that fringe use case? You're like, oh, our product is for marketing and product people that are at this size company, XYZ. And then for some reason, we got a bunch of lawyers that also buy it. You know, like yeah. something like that, where you're like, oh, and then there's this out of left field sort of customer. Yeah. So the way that I operated that, you know, purely from a marketing perspective of where you allocate your budget is ultimately you want to get into 80% you spend on ICP, but it takes a little bit of time to evolve there. So there is like a, you know, as long as there's an idea communicated as to what the, 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 the process looks like, it basically comes down to, you know, there's a proceed at your own risk and you're not going to get the same air cover that you would if it's ICP until we have the opportunity to replace all of those lawyer opportunities with the ones that fit into our ICP, proceed at your own risk. We might do one-off things to help support if there's multiple deals. It's really, you know, lead scoring should be different. The view of the forecasting and pipeline should be different. But at the same time, we also need to make our quarterly numbers. So there has to be some effort. But as long as on the upfront to answer that question exactly, what if, it occurs outside of the ICP, what are you guys doing? And it's, hey, we're not going to provide the same air cover or we'll never get to be able to focus on a true ICP. And I think that I have a little bit of credibility just because of my pre-sales background. And like, I know I can't replace those opportunities yet, Ian, right? Like early in the process, like we have a bunch of those lawyer opportunities that we're working are you saying I should do away with those and say, no, just be prepared that we're going to win 21%, like you said, versus 32 or whatever the numbers end up being. And we need to just understand the impact to the business by chasing those. But I can't replace those just yet because the full machine isn't working. And I think that it's a little different being a salesperson that you only have one opportunity you're working maybe. And that's that lawyer opportunity that doesn't fit into the ICP. And then you get frustrated and angry, but at least being communicated to resolve some of the issues that you, you know, know you're not going to be, you know, pounding on a door. You got an answer. You might not like the answer, but at least you can understand what's happening. Yeah. And, and to your point earlier that if those lawyer opportunities only close at a 21%, but their average deal size is, you know, three times more, then there's probably that that would have been taken into account when you did the ICP originally, right? Exactly. It's, yep. So it's like, hey, we've already done all the math on this stuff. And if that person's like, well, but this deal could be three times bigger. It's like, yeah, by all means, go close it is what you're saying. Like, of course, go close the deal. But just know yep. that this is not a, a well that is going to be easily 
you know, coming back to, or like you said, you don't have the air cover, you don't have marketing support, you don't have, you know, all the case studies and all the other things that the rest of our company is building because we can only do a hundred case studies a year and none of those are going to be the lawyer one or, or whatever. Exactly. And exceptions to every rule for sure. I mean, suddenly if you see there's four in pipe and, you know, but the TAM or SOM is so small, eh. but to your point, like all of that should have been answered. You can only go a certain extent, right? Like, hey, here are the six, seven that we're going to focus on. We're not going to focus all those at once. There were some that were borderline. We're just choosing that, hey, look, those just don't have a big TAM or, you know, or they're not in market at the moment. So we're going to leave those to the side. We'll revisit again every year. But like from a rep's perspective, they have an opportunity now. They don't care. They want to close it. That's all they have that they're working. How do we provide support as an organization? And I think to you know, worst thing a leader could do is be like, sorry, sucks for you, dude. Right. Like, it's like, Hey, we'll help support as best we can. We could do this, this, and this, but like, it's just not the same level of effort that we're going to get with something that's in a different market that does fall into our ICP. So you mentioned the different deal sizes and percent to close and all those things of having like sort of different dashboards, different pipelines, different things like that. I feel like for most CROs that they're not looking at things in sort of like those different ways, but I feel like a lot of CROs are just going to kind of shove it all into one pipeline and not do that stuff. What do you think about like how much within the different personas within that ICP and, and all that, like how different, how different should those pipelines be looking and how much should we be like putting credence into that? I mean, I think massively in order to drive to forecast and to hit numbers, like you have to have all the data points. And just because it's a confidence level of the rep or you hit, you know, five of the six medic elements that it's, you know, it's categorized as 80% chance of closing, that's not taking everything into account. So I've advocated, pushed, developed the lead scoring to help make sure that it's adjusted as a part of the forecasting. And without it, so something within ICP should get, uh, you know, if it's squarely into the ICP, it should get a score of 100, let's say, right? If it's outside of ICP, it should start off with max score of 50 or whatever the, the numbers are. But then there's nuances to it, right? So you could say financial services industry check. You, sh you could say revenue size of organization check, but you could say digital maturity X, meaning they don't fit our digital maturity. Well, that should be adjusted in the scoring and that should be left up to the analysis and investigation of the SDRs and the reps to determine if they are an actual fit. But all of that should be adjusted into the forecast. I mean, I've been a part of many organizations where you, you know, hit or miss and, you know, you don't entirely know why you're not entirely looking at the full picture of what is in pipeline. And it should be, it has to be in order for it to function appropriately, in my opinion. Back to operationalizing the ICP. What do you see people doing right? What do you see people doing wrong? I've had the luxury of being able to talk to the different portfolio companies of the different investors to really get an understanding. And the, and the number one thing was measuring success too early or measuring success too late. And what I mean by that is that like you have to commit to you know, 20 steps to be able to operationalize before you can get to the point of measuring success. And then what are the first steps of measuring success? Is it click-through rates? Is it 
you know, leads converted? Is it MQLs to SQLs? Is it deals closed? And so having that agreement up front. And so when I went through it this last time, you know, put together a whole flow diagram and basically said, these are the points that we're measuring success. Let's talk about that because we're going to have to commit a lot of effort and resources before we get to that point of actually knowing if this is working or not. And I think that the expectation is, of course, if you're thinking of agile development, well, you can check along the way to see your progress. Well, that is the case here, but that, that first true measurement is a little bit further than most execs or sometimes boards want to know. So it's hard to go in you know, a month after operationalizing it in marketing and getting all the assets, the programs, the campaigns, everything set up appropriately in all the different applications and say, we have success yet. It's kind of like, hey, this is the progress that we've made. We'll use that as success. But that's the number one thing is the arguments, discussions around when you measure success. And it's usually a little later than what most folks inherently feel they want. Where does attribution fit into that? So... Initially, that's one of the points of measurement of, you know, what are the different campaigns, assets, different programs, whether it's sales events, whether it's webinars, whether it's trade shows, how are we looking at that? And we just never had the applications to be able to support multi-level attribution. So it became mm -hmm. a little bit more complicated to look at it. But we said we were going to measure, we are going to start looking at every step that that asset or program or campaign or event was touching and basically doing an experiment, an A-B test. We did something generalized. We, we did something for ICP and we can closely relate those. But the attribution has always been a difficult thing. And I've read so many things and talked to so many people that say, do it, don't do it, that you know my head spins a little bit. But really we agreed that we said, hey, every Everything that we're creating, we want to try to figure out how to measure. I mean, the best example is we, we launched a campaign. What was the click-through rate, right? Like that's attribution, but it hasn't converted into MQL or even SQL at that point. And then we know that there's going to be multiple other steps along the way. And some of that is just noise at a certain point. But Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you put, you know, two ads with people in bikinis and swim trunks on there, like you're probably going to have a higher click-through rate. You know what I mean? So it's like obviously... Right, like if they were us. Right. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. If you and I are in bikinis and, <laughs> and trunks, but no, I, I, I think Hopefully that, nobody's listening to this over lunch or dinner. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Or, or has Google readily available. But I think, I think that part of the problem is that you get into this entire ICP initiative then you do your positioning exercise and you're like, all right, this is our key differentiator. Our competitors have this, this, and this, and we have this and they don't, and we're going to position around this. And you go to market with that and you do all that stuff. And then your attribution is horrible. So yeah. you're like, so you're like, yeah, we did all this work. And you're like, does it work? And you're like, I don't know. And like, I, you know, we see this a lot with when, when we're making a, a video series or a podcast series with someone, cause we'll sit down and we'll be like, all right, who's your ISP? Who are we going after? They're like, all right, it's this, 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 and this. And you're like, okay, well, who's the, who's the most important one that we like, we can only make a show for one person who should be first. Yep. And yep. they're like, I don't know. And you're like, okay, not a great start, but like, we'll, we'll pick one. And then we pick one and we do, you know, all this other stuff. And they're like, all right, well, we got to tie this whole thing back to pipeline. How do you do attribution? And they're like, we do first touch. And we're like, 
all right, well, we're never going to win with this initiative if you're doing first touch, you know, or whatever. I'm yep. just saying that. Yep. But like, you're like, okay, well, we did all this work to get to the point where at the most important point of like what turns people saying, hey, you know, I never heard of this company before to, oh, I know who you are, to, hey, if I'm going to buy this solution, they should be on the slide, to, hey, they're they're on the slide and they're they're the preferred option. Like, if you're not measuring what are the things that are driving those those like light bulb moments, then yep. why did you do all the other stuff in the first place other than just like pounding people's heads in with the sales materials? Yeah, I mean, like when we we put the ROI together of a program that says we're you know go after ICP, don't go after ICP. I mean, there's a litany of those. I mean, from click through rates to general activities to you know, certainly NQLs to SQLs to win rates to close deals to ASP. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the equation is absolutely, you know, win more, a higher percentage of opportunities at a higher ASP. But as we know, I mean, a lot of businesses, I mean, a lot of that, that I've been a part of are nine to 12 to 15 month sales cycles, right? So right. you need some of those interim measurements. And I think that the, you know, that's where the data becomes a little bit of a struggle is that well, we don't have this historical level of data of the things that we want to look at, right? Like yeah, everything from website activity to search results to click-through rates, all of those different things. And so, you know, there does have to be some, you know, hippo or gut decisions to say, hey, you know, this is a, an important thing. But this is where the port codes of these other investors, uh, you know, the, the, the investors of the business that I've been a part of, you know, learning from them, certainly learning from the group, and then understanding the appetite of the investors to, you know, and where they've had success and where are the pitfalls. I mean, those are where the best board meetings and conversations with the board and direction really occur, is that that's where those guesses, in a way, have to occur, or opinions, because you're missing some of those inherent mid-level data points before it actually gets interesting. Are you having conversations like, we have to be focused on the direct, like director level engineers at this size company. And the other person's like, it should be CIOs. And you're like, no, it needs to be director level and like things like that. And they're like, but CIOs sign the dotted line, but directors are the ones who are going to, you know, primarily do all the work, you know, stuff like that. I mean, are you getting that granular in the ICP conversations or is that stuff that is a little bit further down? One, I love the different voices that you're doing. It's like, you know, <laughs> my kids like using my voice, like dad says. Um, but yeah, so like the persona, which I didn't mention, plays a critical role. And so we ended up separating into buyer budget user personas. And so hmm. to differentiate be between some of those, right? So at the end of the day, you know, the budget holder, of course, you need to accommodate them at certain point, but they're usually not the ones who are, you know, looking at the campaigns, but we need something a little further down in the sales cycle. But the buyer and the user are, to your point, like that's where those puppet shows usually occur. And, you know, how do you address both of those? Or that's where you start doing the A-B testing and earlier in the cycle, which one, res which one are we resonating more? We can start gauging who's actually, you know, looking at these things by targeting them. We ended up acquiring Sixth Sense and use that to really help us identify and use the persona differences in the campaigns. And it makes a huge difference. And each market ended up being different is the problem. So it can't yeah, just be totally. like a blanket hey, it's CIO for everything. It's CIO in this market, but it's a CDO in this market. But it's actually a director in an enterprise because this is usually not a line item based on the size. It's actually 
they don't even care any higher up. So it like differentiates based off of that ICP sometimes, actually all the time. Yeah, we. I mean, we've seen that with our with our shows where you have like our show Rise of RevOps that we do. You have RevOps leaders that are like literally the head of revenue operations, single person IC. <laughs> And you yep. have someone who's head of revenue operations, 25 person team, right? And it's like totally different, you know, thing. And I mean, obviously we all know that stuff, but, but then once you see it in the information and you're like, oh, actually, you know, who is buying it and, and all that in titles, I think we get very caught up in titles, especially C-level titles Yes, where it's like, you know, the CIO, I mean, and th there's just huge fluctuations like the CIO of, we, we did this show name dropping a lot of shows, but, but we did this show, but it's interesting because I think it's all this persona stuff. We do the show cruising altitude partnering with first up shout out to the good people first up. And the first two seasons we did only companies that were, I think 30,000 or more employees like that, that those are the only people that the types of companies we were talking about, because as we did all this discovery was basically like, if you're in a company of 30,000 or more people, you kind of don't even see yourself as like you, like you would never take notes from a 2000 person company. You're like, right. yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I'd eat a 2000 person company for lunch and not even, and still have room for dessert. And so, and then you'd have like, oh, like the CIO of a 250,000 person company. And they're like, they don't even see that themselves in any way, like a 20,000 person company. So they're only looking for like behemoth type companies. And those are just those little differences that make all the difference when you're creating a marketing initiative. We're like, well, we sell to CMOs. And you're like, well, that CMO thinks about your problem with four minutes of their entire year. Whereas the CMO of the 400 person company thinks about it like four hours yeah. a week, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That persona makes a massive difference based off of that, you know, size of business revenue, all that stuff. We also started really focusing on the digital maturity. So, and we, like there's no formula, no easy way to really do digital maturity, but we basically said, are they buying products that are equivalent to ours cost-wise? Are they using free ones or are they somewhere in the middle? And you're able to research that with Built With or Zoom Info yeah. or you know, any of those tools. And so we basically said, okay, that's kind of the tiebreaker. We know that we're a, you know, a higher digitally mature required solution, let's say. And so kind of weed out some of those other ones to your point they're not even like higher mature customers are at like step three out of five, whereas low mature at like step zero, they don't even know how to get off the ground. And so the conversation is at completely different instead of why you need this thing, why you should care and identifying reasons that, you know, maybe precede even to the point of acquiring software. And so that digital maturity becomes that extra layer after that persona. So any other things that are pitfalls or things people are doing right or wrong or things that y'all did right or wrong? I mean, I think that the, the scars that I have are really about, you know, the organizational alignment. I've seen it where everybody seems to agree, but then doesn't operate with it. And then you basically wasted all of the time and effort. And it's really, you know, it, it is about cross-organization. It isn't just about marketing. It may start there, but if the whole, let's say ELT, is aware they need to be aligned, right? Like I would ask almost weekly, are we still aligned? Are we still doing this? Do you still buy into it personally? And I think that I got to a point and I get to a point of, I got to get that emotional attachment 
like, what does this mean for them, right? Because a lot of people are like dealing with their regular jobs. Why does the CTO really care about this, let's say? Why does, you know, somebody in customer service really care about this? And it's really trying to connect the dots for them and to create that emotional attachment because one pillar falls, it really can't be adopted fully. And then the next is really, you know, forging your way beyond the inadequacy of the data. Like you just have to figure out how to get to a point where you can make a decision. And I've seen a lot of projects and we, everybody probably has in general, you, you get to a point, you just can't, you, nobody just makes a decision and you move on to the next thing. But I feel so strongly that every business needs to have some type of ICP and identifying the SOM because it helps with the entire organization mentality. You need to get to a point of a decision. And who makes that decision? If the CEO and the board are not in agreement, really a CEO is in an agreement, it's a struggle. Yeah, I, I think I just acutely see this problem when we work with teams where so often they don't know their ICP. If you're like, what's your ICP? And like a marketer that's sitting somewhere in the marketing organization, wherever they are, has just like, I mean, it's this and this. Yep. And like, okay, what are the personas within that? It's like, well, it's this and this. Like, And it's not just like, here is the book, you know, here is, it is codified. This is what we're doing. This is what we're going after. Cause to your point, like all of your marketing spend, all of your organizational effort, things like your podcasts and your webinars and your events and all those things start layering onto that. It's like, Hey, should we go to Saster this year? Well, does our ICP include SaaS founders? No, then we shouldn't. Or yes, then we should. You know, It's just like those sort of things that I think allow you to focus your effort and energy and layer in depth. You know, Chandar, the amazing CMO of Coupa, who just stepped down and is an advisor to Caspian and longtime guest on the show, is notorious for saying, paint the sky Coupa blue. And like, you can't paint the sky. So like every single place that they look, you want your key personas to look they see you, right? And like, yep. you can't do that if you're spread super thin. And it seems like so many marketers sitting down there in content world or demand or, or wherever, and they're like, I just have 50 different personas that I'm trying to sell to. And I do like two things a year for each of them. And like, I don't know where to put my money. And it's just kind of too hard. Absolutely. And then, yeah, imagine downstream the product being built, you know, where, you know, I've spent a lot of my career, like, how do you really know the investment? Because that's like, that's a huge investment that you're going to then build features for that specific thing or the partners all the way downstream. Like it's, yeah, I, I, I can't, if the data, if, if there's some history, I can't imagine a more important strategic exercise for any company to go through than to really get ICP and forget about the TAM but really to the service addressable market or obtain, obtainable if you can get to that data, like really truly defining what's successful and then just being so diligent about measuring against that. To your point, like I assume that of the seven that we selected, we're gonna be wrong on two of them. And then how do you then go and revisit and what does success look like? And it takes a little bit of time, but like, you know, you're gonna be wrong and like how, like on some of them and how do you go and you measure and you adjust, but it needs to use that same base framework of data. I think that the naysayers usually say, well, that's historical. That's not painting the future. I definitely believe that you're going to have success based off of what you did previously. But you do also have to take a chance at saying, hey, we don't have a huge amount of opportunities historically in these two markets, but these have massive SOMs or SAMs. Let's invest in those. 
Justin, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on the show. What is your best advice for a first-time CMO who's trying to figure out their ICP? Seeing if you have the support of the board of the ELT and explaining the value of it, I think that the initial alignment is critical. Second is just continual communication, just understanding that a lot of people in the organization have never gone through this. They don't know the value and you have to be okay communicating and sharing and educating on what it means for them. Justin, so great chatting today. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, I appreciate the time though. Yeah, it's been wonderful. I mean, I feel like we did a pretty good job of laying it all out, but boy, is there a lot more to unpack. So I'll have to have you back. Awesome having you on the show and take care. Thanks again to our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.